Hello and welcome to this Linklaters podcast on payments regulation. I'm joined on the line by a couple of our payments regulation experts, Harry Edis. Hello. And Sophia Levacant. Hello. Towards the end of our last episode, Harry raised the subject of the EU's regulation on crypto assets. We've had some requests to hear more about this, and so today we'll pick it up again and go into some more detail about what it means for the future of payments. Harry, perhaps you could start by reminding us what this is all about. Certainly. Thanks, Simon. Uh, This is a draft regulation that the European Commission has published. It's called the Market in Crypto Assets Regulation, also known as MECA. I brought this up last time because it's one of the headline proposals made in the EU's new digital finance strategy. That strategy is important because it lays out the EU's priorities for the fintech and payment sector over the next few years. And MECA is important because it seeks to plug some of the gaps in how crypto assets are regulated at the moment in the EU. It will sit alongside MIFID and in fact bears a lot of resemblance to MIFID. So those of you who are still bearing the scars from MIFID 2 implementation, then good luck. Thanks, Harry. So maybe, Sophia, could you explain for us uh, what the current position is and actually how crypto assets are are regulated today? Sure. Well, it's a bit of a mixed bag. It really depends on the precise features of the asset you're looking at and which jurisdictions are involved. So we've seen some countries take a restrictive approach, in, in some cases effectively banning the use of crypto assets, whereas others have tried to position themselves as being more crypto friendly. Now, the UK and most of the EU fall somewhere in between those two extremes. So on the one hand, they've stressed that crypto assets that have the features of regulated instruments are, in fact, regulated instruments. And they've tried to highlight the risks to consumers of investing in all other crypto assets. But on the other hand, they haven't generally sought to start regulating those other crypto assets, except in relation to AML type requirements. They're still working out those boundary issues, which ones are regulated, which ones aren't, can actually be quite tricky. And, and that, Sophia, is really the key to this. Um, uh, crypto assets can take several forms, as you say, and have different characteristics. In the UK at the moment, the position which has been set out by the FCA is that there are essentially three types of crypto asset, two which are regulated and one which is not. So slightly different to how it's been set out in Mika. The first of these crypto assets is a security token. This is a crypto asset that provides rights and obligations, which are like those for shares, bonds, or other financial instruments. And these security tokens would be regulated in the the UK. Effectively, the FCA is saying they are securities in another name. The second is an e-money token. And this is a crypto asset which falls within the definition of electronic money. And so unsurprisingly, would be treated as e-money and regulated as such. So-called utility tokens may in some cases fall in this category. And then the third type of crypto assets are unregulated tokens. So these are tokens which don't fall within either of the other two categories. Uh, and that might be because there are, there's no issue and there are no rights uh, or intrinsic value. So something like a Bitcoin, for example, would be a, a really good example. And these types of crypto assets are unregulated. But even though you might not need to be authorized to issue or deal in these crypto assets, other restrictions may apply. So, for example, as Sophia was alluding to, UK crypto asset exchanges would need to be registered with the FCA for anti-money laundering purposes. So that's the position in the UK. Obviously, MECAR is an EU regulation. Um, So what is the current position in the EU, Sophia? 
The position in the EU is not completely harmonized. Um, mo most financial regulation, including the, the securities and e-money frameworks, which Harry just mentioned, are broadly aligned with the UK, although there may be there, there are some differences around the edges. Um, but, but some EU member states, like France, have actually introduced other crypto regulation on top of this to fill some of the regulatory gaps. And that actually brings us back to Mika, because one of the aims of Mika is to create a position on crypto assets, which is harmonized across the whole of the EU. So how is it then that uh, Mika would, would divide up the world of crypto assets? So it, it starts with a, a very wide definition of crypto asset. Mika defines crypto asset as a digital representation of value or rights, which may be transferred and stored electronically in, using distributed ledger technology or similar technology. So that's really intended to be a bit of a catch-all. And then it then carves out any crypto assets that would already be re regulated, for example, as financial instruments. And it then divides crypto assets into different groups and sets different frameworks for each of them. E-money tokens are basically crypto assets that work like electronic money because they're pegged to a single currency, even if they've been structured in a way that means they fall outside the current e-money rules. Now, that could be the case, for example, if the holder doesn't have any claim against the issuer. Now, Mika broadly takes the approach that if an asset is pegged to a single currency, consumers would treat it like money. And so they should be given equivalent protections to those under the e-money regime. For example, it should be redeemable at par value and they should have a claim against the issuer. So that's e-money tokens. Um, a second category is um, asset reference tokens. Now, these are crypto assets whose value is stabilized by other assets, such as a basket of currencies or commodities or, or, or crypto assets. So maybe to summarize, we have an e-money token, which is a crypto asset, which is pegged to one currency. And then there are asset reference tokens, which are then pegged to more than one currency or perhaps some other assets. I mean, that sounds to me like stable coins. Are, th are these basically stable coins? And where do stable coins fit into this um, this framework? Yeah, so so the, the term stable coins is, is a very vague one. I mean, it typically refers to, to crypto assets that are in some way pegged to the value of fiat currencies or real world assets in order to stabilize their value. Now, in reality, there's a wide array of stable coin models, which are functionally quite different to each other. So what the, the EU is proposing is that some stable coins would qualify as securities, for example, if they're stabilized by reference to financial instruments. Some would qualify as e-money tokens if they reference a, a single currency. And some would qualify as asset reference tokens, for example, if they reference a basket of currencies. Now, in the Commission's view, the risks are, are different in each case. And so the regulatory treatment should differ accordingly. Similarly, the, the potential risks seem to be much greater if the stablecoin is used very widely for, for mainstream retail payments, like, like the Libra tokens might be, rather than just in the, in the relatively small crypto markets. And so they've created this concept of significant tokens and proposed a much heavier regulatory burden for those. Well, let's turn now to, to that regulatory burden. Uh, Harry, what would being caught by one of these MECAR regimes actually mean in practice? Um, well, Simon, the, the regulation sets out um, various requirements, um, and I'll 
just pick out some of the main ones. But as I go through them, as I said before, you'll you'll notice a lot of the techniques are very similar to what's included in, in MIFID 2. So most importantly, Mika would require anyone providing services in relation to these crypto assets in the EU to be authorized. So that means you would need to be regulated to provide, for example, custody, trading, exchange, promotion services. One upside would be that once you've been authorized in one EU member state, you could passport this permission across the EU and provide those services uh, throughout the EU. So you wouldn't have to apply for licenses in multiple EU countries, which is somewhat a feature of the unharmonized regime which Sophia was referencing before. Once you've become an authorized service provider, you would have to comply with not only general requirements like conduct rules and prudential standards, but also additional specific requirements depending upon the type of service you provide. And aside from the authorization requirement, Mika also introduces a new market abuse regime. And this is intended to prevent things like insider dealing and unlawful disclosure of inside information relating to crypto assets. But it's not just on service providers. There are also obligations on the issuance side. This depends on the type of crypto asset being issued. So for issuers of e-money tokens and asset reference tokens, there are authorization requirements. So you have to be regulated to issue those, those types of crypto assets. Whereas for issuers of other tokens, there's a much lighter touch regime, but which still includes new obligations such as pr prospectus type requirements, for example. That's, uh, that's a great overview then of, of the kind of things that Mika would require and what it's going to do. Um, what do you think Mika would mean for the payments industry going forwards? Well, I think there are going to be some benefits. I think to start with, Mika should bring some legal certainty for digital currencies. This may mean that projects aimed at the mainstream retail payments market like Libra can finally be launched. That may then create wider opportunities for innovation in terms of overlay payment services. Some institutions have also been looking at the prospect of launching digital currencies for use in the financial markets. And again, legal certainty is likely to be helpful for those types of pro projects. There may also be some new opportunities for payment firms in the crypto markets. The new framework should give the crypto markets more legitimacy which could lead to more institutional investment and more growth. I personally would expect regulated payments institutions to be quite well placed to capitalize on opportunities to service these markets, given their existing regulatory status and expertise in making payments work. Finally, I'd also add that the recent attention on stablecoins has ignited a lot of interest in central bank digital currencies. This is something that several central banks are now exploring quite seriously. And if they became reality, that would really have a transformative impact on the payments industry. Yeah, I agree with, with Harry on all of that. Um, certainly CBDCs is an area to watch. And, and as for Mika, more clarity is, is definitely welcome, especially in the context of, of stablecoins, as we've discussed. Although there is still a lot of complexity to be worked through at, at the boundaries. Yes, definitely plenty of complexity to work through here. I mean, are there any other uh, potential concerns or issues that have come up um, in your discussions with clients on this? Yes, a, a few things. Uh, for one, um, these proposals don't really address the existing uncertainties around whether certain structures qualify as securities under MIFID. And, and there are lots of concerns around that. So the, the European Commission has said that it plans to provide detailed guidance on those issues in due course. And we'll just have to wait and see whether that, that does the job. Um, another issue is uncertainty about how the framework applies in the context of decentralized structures. 
Uh, there's been a lot of attention recently on the growth of decentralized finance or DeFi as it's known. And this includes things like crypto lending platforms, which basically enable crypto holders to, to generate a yield based on their holdings. Now, these types of application often involve decentralized stablecoins. And, and those types of stablecoins are often generated algorithmically. For example, when crypto collateral is locked into a, a smart contract, and they're often not associated with, with any issuer. Now, under Mika, the, the e-money and asset reference token regimes impose obligations on the issuer of the token, and they require that issuer to be a regulated entity. Now, in some of these decentralized structures, there is actually a, a central entity behind the scenes that could conceivably take on that role of regulated issuer. Now, whether or not that's feasible in practice is, is another question. But, but in other structures, there, there simply is no such entity. And so there are questions as to how Mika applies in that context and whether it pushes DeFi further into an unregulated space. I mean, some would say that's fine because the, the service providers that interact with these protocols are still likely to be regulated, but there's a lot of debate around these types of issues. A final concern that I'll mention is that Mika is drafted to have quite broad extraterritorial effect. So for example, if say a US entity issued crypto assets that are available in the EU, which, which is often the case in the crypto world, then that US entity would be caught by this European regulation. And, and some have questioned whether that type of reach is, is too broad and whether it's really enforceable in practice. So to sum up, um, for regulation, which is, which is trying to provide legal certainty, there are still certainly some gray areas. Yes, I agree. There's still plenty to be uh, worked through. And I should say that MECAR is uh, just a draft regulation at the moment. And what we'll do, we'll keep tabs on it as it progresses through the uh, European parliamentary process and certainly keep you updated uh, both on this podcast and also on our fintech uh, blog. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can tweet at Linklaters Tech or email fintech.podcast at linklaters.com. Until next time, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. 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 <laughs>